Please open your Bibles to Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. I'm going to read a few of the verses from this chapter, but the main message that I'm going to share with you is about the first verse. Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. I will read from verse 1. It says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Verse 3, even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and he shows everyone that he is a fool. If you continue the rest of this chapter, you will see that Solomon speaks a great deal about fools and wise men. This kind of resembles what he writes in his other book, the Proverbs. If you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, he says a great deal about wisdom, acquiring wisdom, going after wisdom. He says a great deal about who's a fool and who's a wise person in that book. When you read this chapter, I was thinking if I don't know where in the Bible I was reading, and I have to guess, I would have guessed this is from the book of Proverbs. Because the style is just about the same way. Again, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, every verse had its own meaning. And often there's no transition between one verse to another. It's just like Solomon is jumping from one thought to another. And this is the same style that he's writing in this 10th chapter. But having said that, he has a constant theme that goes through all his writings theme or themes that Solomon brings it up in all of the three books that he wrote. This is Proverbs, Book of Ecclesiastes, second, and Song of Song that comes right after this. In this particular book, I've said this many times from here, as I spoke from different parts of this book, the key phrase that he uses is everything under the sun. That means life of human beings here on earth and nothing above the earth nothing spiritually part of that life. Coming and looking at in all directions, he comes to the conclusion, and he says it so many times, here's another phrase that he says, all is vanity, is meaningless, is meaningless. That's the life of human beings on this earth without God. That's what he's talking about in this book. Life without God in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, what he says here about the fools and the wise men, just that I read, is very different than what he says in his book of Proverbs. I will go over it. Here he says, Death flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but the fool's heart is at his left. Basically what he's saying is, a little foolishness, the word folly means lack of good sense. It also means foolishness or a foolish act. This is from the dictionary. A little folly outweighs all the wisdom somebody can have. Now, from the world point of view, especially in this day and age, age of social media, how many people can you think of that in a moment of rage they tweeted something or they said something, and they just ruined their whole career. I'm talking about prominent people, a politician here, or a celebrity here, or a CEO of a big corporation. What I just shared is 
what I believe is definition of the word folly. Doing something without thinking about it. Just as the dictionary says, lack of good sense. In that moment, you're not thinking about anything. It's just a foolish act that ruins your whole career. Now, we're talking about people, celebrities or prominent people, let's say somebody important. It's not easy to get to their positions. I mean, they're wise people. They have a high IQ. That's why they're in that position in their life. But just one mistake just ruins their whole life. This is the worldview of what a foolish person is. In other words, I'm saying, when the Bible uses the word fool, it doesn't mean he's talking about somebody who is a mentally challenged person, nor he's talking about somebody who has a lower IQ. It has its own definition. I just shared with you from the worldview of what the word folly means or a foolish person means. Here's what he says in the same book, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. He says, The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to both of them. Now here's the theme that Solomon has in this book. As I shared, whatever we do in life is meaningless, he says. Whether you're a fool or a wise man makes no difference. He's talking about unbelievers. Life on earth without God. He says, a wise man has eyes in his head. That's because he accumulated all the wisdom over the years. He has eyes in his head. But a fool walks in darkness. But the same fate, this is F-A-T-E, that means destiny. Same fate awaits for them. That is destruction at the end. So he comes to the conclusion by saying, it makes no difference. You want to live as a fool or as a wise person, the end of both of them is destruction at the end. And I believe he has the eternity in mind as a reference. What is our life? Let's say an average of 70 years on earth. Compared to eternity is nothing. The Bible speaks of our life compared to eternity. It's like a vapor. You see it for a second, the next second is disappeared. Our life compared to eternity is absolutely nothing. That's why it makes no difference how you live here on earth. Whether as a fool, a wise man, rich man, poor man, whatever you are, whatever the humanity is on this, it makes no difference. At the end is destruction. That's why he says over and over, is vanity, is meaningless. That's life on earth without God. But the theme he has in book of Proverbs is very different. Because in the book of Proverbs, he's addressing his words. As I said earlier, he encourages God's people to inquire wisdom, to go after wisdom, to be a wise person rather than a fool. And he goes over and over again who the fool is, who is the wise man. I mean, he clearly spells it out in different verses throughout his book. By definition, what the Bible means as a fool for his people is this. A person who is a fool in the Bible, by definition, is one who does not have the proper fear of the Lord and does not follow God, his maker, all the way to the end. He does not have the proper fear of the Lord. He doesn't believe in God, and he doesn't follow him. That's the definition of the fool in the Bible, as far as a fool person is concerned. Just the opposite, 
a wise person is someone who not only believes God, but he follows the Lord all the way to the end. That's the wise person in the Bible. That's the definition that I believe what book of Proverbs clearly tells us, the difference between two of them. And in this chapter, as I said, even though he speaks of fools and wise, but it's in another direction. And all the way to the end of this chapter, in verse 20, he says, Do not curse the king even in your thoughts, and do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message, and a winged creature may report the matter. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, the phrase, a little birdie told me, probably came from this verse. He's speaking of the fools, how they speak. I mean, he goes through many different ways of explaining what a fool does. For example, their laziness. He says, a leak in the roof, a lazy person, a fool, ignores it, ignores the repairs in the house until the house falls apart. That's the definition of fool. Ignores what it needs to be done. Two points. What Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, he's speaking to his people. He's encouraging them to get the wisdom. But here in the book of Ecclesiastes, fools and wise makes no difference. But for the believers, being a fool or wise makes a world of difference, which I will explain towards the end of this message. Here in this verse that I read for you, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read in a different version. This is New Standard Version. It says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a foul odor. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. I didn't know much about perfumers. Perfumers are people who make perfumes. You know, I went online, I did some research to understand who these people are and how they make their perfumes. It's a lengthy process for them. It's a tedious process. It requires many years of experience. What it takes is having a liquid of some sort that is inert, doesn't have any taste, doesn't have any odor of itself, but can contain all the spices or ointments or essential oils that they mix together to give off a good, pleasant fragrance. This is not something new. It goes way back all the way to Egypt, that they made perfumes with a mixture of different spices, flowers, and whatnot. Recently, I read as I was searching that the archaeologists unearthed this factory of perfume making in the island of Cyprus, a 3,000-year-old factory for perfume making with all the equipments, all the little bottles for the perfumes and whatnot. What I'm saying is not something new, it's always been. But the moral of what Solomon says here, that there is a divine perfume maker, that's our God. He's been compounding this ointment that you can see throughout the whole Bible. You remember in Exodus, God commanded his people when they came after Egypt, after they were done making the tabernacle, which is everything about Christ in all his looking at him in different directions, God told Moses to make an anointing oil, and he gave the recipe. One by one, the measurements, everything he gave in a specific and a meticulous way, 
And after they made him, he said, you have to anoint every furniture, every part of the tabernacle by that anointing oil. He also said different mixture of spices and ointments and whatnot to make a burning incense for the tabernacle. All of this was Moses to make. And at the end he says, no one is allowed to make this compound for their own pleasure, you know, making it at home for their own use. If anybody makes that, he says, he will be cut off from his people. Of course, you know that anointing oil was the fragrance of Christ. This is what God been compounding in the Old Testament, the fragrance of Christ. Everything in the tabernacle is related to Christ. It is him in every picture that you see in the Christ, including the anointing oil that they made. Now, you come to the New Testament... This is what Paul says in the Second Corinthians chapter 2. He says, But thanks to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. God is making this compound And as I said earlier, you can see throughout the Bible, clearly, it's the aroma of Christ. Now in the New Testament, he has given us that aroma with the person of Christ in us. Every born-again child of God has that in there. God said, don't duplicate it. What does that mean to you? He's saying, you cannot duplicate who Christ is. He's in you already. It's a gift given to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. It's a gift. Don't try to duplicate it. If you try, you will be acting like a Christian rather than living as a Christian. And that's very easy to do. I was thinking, what's the difficulty to make that compound? God gave the recipe. All is needed to get the spices, get the appropriate amount, mix them together, get the compound, and use it at home. God says, if you do, the sentence is death. To act like a Christian is contrary to what God has called all of us. It's from within. It is within, it's the gift of God, and that's the aroma of Christ. And eventually, what Paul was saying here, we, the believers, are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved, and on the other hand, will be the smell of death for those who reject Christ. Either this way or that way, and nothing in between. But what caught my eyes in this verse that I've been quoting many years, this is what he said in verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. That's first. That's the first time I recognize this. We are aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That means God is smelling the aroma of Christ from us. We are to have that aroma first for the pleasure of God himself, and then he will work with others. I realized that I never understood in the Old Testament when God talks about different sacrifices, especially burnt offering. You know, the burnt offering put the whole carcass on the altar of the sacrifice. And then this phrase in the Bible, it says, it was a pleasing aroma for the Lord. You know, I've read that so many times over the years. Of course, humanly, I'm thinking, if you put a chunk of meat on the barbecue, what do you smell? 
Of course, it's a barbecue smell. Who doesn't like the smell? You know, humanly, I'm thinking, what? The Lord likes the smell of the barbecue, or what is it? But actually, he was smelling his son. Because the whole Old Testament, he was compounding this until the reality came in the New Testament when the Lord gave his life on the cross. It's very dramatic. But here's the thing. He says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a foul odor. Stinks. Dead flies get into the perfume, and they just corrupt the perfume to a point that it gives off a bad smell. Here I am thinking, there's two things involved here. Here's the master perfumer making this compound ointment for the ages to come. It's the aroma of Christ. He has given us. He's in us. What is these flies? What could they possibly be that can get in and mess up the whole perfume? Been thinking about this, and of course, any kind of sin can possibly corrupt this aroma of Christ in us. But not every kind of sin. You know, God deals with all of us with our particular sins in life, fleshly sins or this and whatnot. What is number one sin that gets in the way of the believers? Book of Hebrews tells us the sin is the sin of unbelief. Sin of unbelief caused the entire generation that came out of Egypt not to get into the promised land. You know, there's a whole lot written in the New Testament about it. It's the sin of unbelief. And altogether, I can say this, spiritual kind of sins, what are they? I'm not talking about, again, fleshly sins or this and that. Selfishness, thinking you're better than everybody else, or criticizing others based on your own standards of understanding. Having a royal blood, you think you have a royal blood, I think where that comes from, I've been watching Game of Thrones over the last week. <laughs> There's a great deal of talk about the royal blood. Spiritual sin, the deadliest of all is unbelief. And that's what gets every believer down. In Galatians, this is what Apostle Paul says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of the faith? Why did he use the word foolish? I mean, this is Apostle Paul. He said, you foolish Galatians. Simply, they began by faith just like any one of us started, but they ended by works, by obeying the law. See, the word foolishness here is people who do not have enough word in them for it to guide them in their life. This is what Solomon says in the second verse. It says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a foul odor, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Second verse, A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Wise man's heart is on his right Fool's heart is on his left. 
From ancient time, you know, in the biblical time, right hand always points to power and honor. Right hand of the king. Left one, however, always points to weakness and rejection. Remember chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. At the height of the war or all the catastrophes that will befall on this earth, at the end of this age, when the Lord returns with his holy angels and with the saints, we read in chapter 25 what Jesus said. He says he will come down among the nations. This is after billions of people that died during that whole period. Billions, not millions. Every catastrophe says one-third of the people died. I don't know how many billions we are now. I don't remember the last count. But billions have already died. What was left, there's some believers and there's some unbelievers. He said he will separate them just as a shepherd would do, sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. Then he says to the ones that on the right hand to the sheep, he says, come, enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he begins by saying, I was hungry, I was thirsty, you gave me something to eat. You're familiar with that verse. All the way to verse 41, he says, but to those to the left, to the goat, he says, Enter to eternal damnation or fire that was prepared for devil and the fallen angels. This is, again, unbelievers and believers. Right hand, left hand. The fool always turns to left when the pressure comes. If he's confronted with something, because he doesn't have enough in him. I'm talking about believers in Christ. When you don't have the word in you, the inclination is you're prone to turn to the left rather than to the right. That's the guidance that the Holy Spirit can do in you when you have the word in you. Otherwise, if you don't have it, you're going to turn left in any difficulty that you come across in your life. It's important to separate what Solomon says in this book, Ecclesiastes, what he says in the Proverbs, but all have a general thing involved. What he says in the book of Proverbs he speaks to the believers. He says, go after wisdom. Acquire wisdom. This is wisdom that comes from the Word. After all, wisdom is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. Having wisdom is having the proper fear of the Lord in your life as a born-again believer. Sin of unbelief, it is as unpredictable as a fly, like the flies of which Solomon wrote, it robs a life of a fragrance of Christ which characterizes true believers. Just think, the sin of unbelief will corrupt what's in us. Instead of having the aroma of Christ, it will have a foul odor, or it will stink, it will smell bad. As believers, how we can corrupt what God has given us by sin of unbelief and what we do and not do in our Christian life. And that's the direction that Solomon speaks in just one verse. But the key was to understand what this book is about and what the book of Proverbs is. As I said earlier, we have communion. And I thought about communion today. I said everything about Christianity revolves around our five spiritual senses, just like our physical senses. What are they? It's hearing, seeing, taste, touch, and smell. 
I was thinking, our spiritual life began by hearing the Lord and then began to see Him. And the Lord says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. This is where the taste comes in. Psalm 37, he says, taste the faithfulness of the Lord. See, all of this comes just like faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You cannot taste him, taste the faithfulness of the Lord with the lack of word in you. And the Bible encourages us in this way. Taste the faithfulness of the Lord. Eating is the taste and the smell and then the touch. Lay your hands on the seat and pray for them in Jesus' name. That has to do with the ministry of the church. All five senses at work. I was thinking, I said to myself, if I was to lose one of the senses, which one would that be? I mean, it's a stupid thing I'm asking myself, but I'm trying to make a point. I said, well, I have to hear. I love music in general. I have to see. I have to taste. I like eating. I mean, you all do. I'm not the only one. <laughs> and touch is very important. If you don't have the sense of touch, you can stick your hand in a fire. You will not know it. Then I said, okay, maybe the smell is the last one. I can live without it. Then I realized instantly, if we didn't have our spiritual sense of smell, none of us would be born again today. Because the person who brought the gospel to you, you smell the aroma of Christ from that person. And you were born again. Five senses at work in our spiritual life. And this combines all of it together because the Lord says, as often as you do it, remember me. Everything we have is from him. Amen? About two weeks ago, this young Christian, I was talking to her. Actually, I wasn't talking. She was telling and I was listening. Through some unfortunate things to their family, she said, I lost my faith. I don't believe in God anymore. Hard to hear this from any believer. And in through what she was sharing, she said, it's all lies. They all lied to me. I was told if you pray, God is faithful, you will answer your prayers, and you'll be happy in your life. And I'm thinking, where is that verse in the Bible that I will be happy? It's just the contrary to it. Jesus said, in the world you will have many tribulations, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. She went on and on how she doesn't believe in God. And I remembered what Psalm 14, I think it is, that says, a fool in his heart says, God does not exist. I was sitting there and trying to think of what can I tell her to change her at this stage of her life. Whatever came to me, I thought if I say anything, I will aggravate her more than the way she is at that point. So I didn't say anything. I resorted to pray for her, giving her life to the Lord. And then I began to examine myself. You see, she said she lost her faith. And one of my weaknesses today, as a believer, I have a hard time going on with the Lord in the New Testament biblical way. I'm not talking about individually. I cannot live without the Lord, nor can you as a born-again believer. Everything I have is from Him. I'm speaking corporately, corporately as the body of Christ. I'm thinking 
Does the Lord still work with us corporately? Does he have a specific plan for us corporately? This is where I'm having a difficulty in my spiritual life. From every which corner I turn and look at ourselves, there's disappointment for me. I hope you understand what I'm saying, especially all that we went through not too long ago. From every turn I look, there's something wrong. And that brings disappointing thoughts for me. As I said, I personally, I cannot live without the Lord. And I said, nor can you. But corporately, are we there where the Lord wants us to be? That's where I have difficulty. And I thought about my weaknesses and I said, my God, I just heard she said she lost her faith. And I examined myself and I saw myself in the same situation. Of course, the scale is different, but it's the same thing, unbelief. What I'm saying is I have a hard time seeing if the Lord has a purpose for us all. This small flock in this church, that's where I have difficulty. And that's, I realize, there's a stem of unbelief in there. How we got that as a dead fly, I have no idea. Dead flies. It's interesting that the margin for that verse, the Bible, the scholars say, in the original Hebrew word, grammatically is a singular form. That means it doesn't have to be a swarm of flies to corrupt the perfume. One, just enough to corrupt it. You know, they come in, I'm sure they are attracted by the smell of the perfume. They get in, they die in the perfume, and they corrupt it to a point that it stinks. How it gets there, it's unwatchfulness, if I can say it. But it is sin of unbelief. It gets in, if you're not watchful. Solomon speaks of the fragrance in the book of Song of Songs. And that fragrance, as I said, is throughout the Bible. It's the sweet aroma of our Lord Jesus. In chapter 4, this is what he says, verse 10. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. This is the king saying to the Shulamite girl, who is the bride, who is the church. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Remember, this is the king saying to the Shulamite girl. And in chapter 1, this is the Shulamite girl saying, While the king was at his couch, my spikenard gave forth its fragrance. She's saying, as they were sitting at the table, the king and the Shulamite girl, my spikenard gave off its fragrance. I thought, this is sweet. This is the bride. This is the church. She can tell has the sweet smell of our Lord Jesus already sitting with him. This is the aroma that should be in us all the time. But as I said, sin of unbelief gets in and corrupts. Instead of a smell that is pleasant, it's a foul odor. It stinks. And that's the horrible thought I have when the Lord smells us in this way. When our Lord Jesus was ministering, healing people, doing his miracles, casting demons, and setting people free, the religious leaders called him Beelzebub. By the power of Beelzebub, he's doing all these things. Beelzebub was one of the gods of Mesopotamia. That's where Abraham came from. The name Beelzebub means Lord of Flies. And it's one of the names of Satan in the Bible. Lord of Flies. 
and he will do these utmost to bring you to a point of unbelief. How? By the circumstances of our life, by pressures here and there. Nothing that God's word hasn't given you any promises. But the believer goes not by what they see. We do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. That's our life. And every difficulty, there's a promise or two given in the Bible. But the Lord of Flies will do his utmost to bring you to a point that you will say, well, there is no God. If there was, he would have answered my prayers. There is a God, and he's our Lord. If we have a motto for this year, this is the first Sunday of 2019. Well, whoop de doo <laughs> If you are going to have a motto for this year, I would say going back to the basics. As a believer, as a new believer, you should devour the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Store it in your hearts. When the time comes, you're confronted with something to decide. Instinctly, you will not turn to the left, but you will go to the right. By the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives through the Word that is in you. The motto for this year, I'm thinking, let's go back to basics. Believing and trusting the Lord, but without faith, it's impossible. Without the Word, it's impossible. Don't think you can get away not reading the Word as a believer and it will be fine. No. You will not have the faith to guide you. You will not have the assistance you need every turn you come into in your life that you have to make a decision. Are you hearing me? If there's any changes going to happen for us, you know, I, I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. I heard what she said. I also saw myself within the same category. I said, forgive me. Do you remember chapter 25 of the book of Matthew? The Lord spoke about ten virgins. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. These are born again. I say they're born again because no unbeliever will wait for the Lord. These are ten of them waiting for the Lord to come. Five wise, five foolish. Five wise made it to the kingdom. Five foolish ones did not make it to the kingdom. And that's the difference between a fool in the Bible and a wise one. Not what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, it's only for unbelievers. It makes no difference. You want to be a fool? Fine. You want to be a wise man? Fine. You're rich? Fine. You're this, you're that? Fine. One fate awaits for all of them. Destruction at the end in the lake of fire. Makes no difference how you live. But for a believer, it makes a great difference. To be a fool or a wise. You will make it to the kingdom or you will not make it to the kingdom. Amen? And that's what I want you to have when you come in being part of the table. You cannot be part of me, he says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. Eating has to do with taste. Taste. The only way you can taste the Lord is by his word and knowing by experience that he's faithful in every direction. You need that experience now, in a hurry. That's why I said earlier, devour the word of God if you're a newborn believer. If you haven't been doing it as a believer up to now, you can start today. And that would be the motto for this year. Amen? Amen. Let's take it together. God bless you. Multiply his words in your hearts.
and I will see you next Sunday.